Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Last week we looked at Isaiah 6 and found five steps that God wants to take in our lives. Now it's interesting to fast forward in Isaiah's life all the way to chapter 61 and find out what Isaiah looked like after he had allowed God and cooperated with God to take those five steps in his life. Later on in life, he wrote Isaiah 61, and there are three things that happen to Isaiah that can happen to you and me if we'll simply cooperate with God and allow him to work in our lives. Let me share what those three things are. First, God will anoint you. What does it mean for God to anoint someone? Well, it it means that God chooses that person. He selects them. He picks them for a very special purpose and empowers them to be able to fulfill that purpose. So that's, that's the first thing that God does when we cooperate with him. But secondly, he consecrated Isaiah. Well, as I studied this word consecration, it was so rich and so broad. But one of the things that consecration means is that God filled Isaiah. He filled him with skill. He filled him with capability. He filled him with, uh, he, he armed him. He equipped him with all kinds of capabilities to be able to fulfill the calling of God on Isaiah's life. So he was consecrated. And thirdly, God sanctified Isaiah. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, it, it means that God's holiness rubs off on us and we become holy. We become set apart for God. And here's the neat insight that I've gotten from, from being made holy or being made sanctified. And it's this, you begin to have authority in your life. Your word carries weight. Your word can move mountains because God's holiness is in you. So really looking forward to you listening to this podcast and receiving the things, the same things that I've received. So listen in and be blessed. Let's look at Isaiah 61. If you were here last Sunday, you'll remember, I hope, that we talked about Isaiah 6. And now we're jumping you know, all of these chapters all the way to Isaiah 61. And I'm going to show you why. We talked about Isaiah 6 first and Isaiah 61 now this Sunday. If you will recall, and so I'm going to summarize it for you just in case you weren't here. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah had a vision of God. He had a revelation of God. I'll tell you what, if you could see God, it would change your life. You wouldn't be the same person again. You would be a different person. That's what happened to Isaiah. He saw the Lord high and exalted and his train. You know, a bride has a train on on her dress. His train filled the temple. And the, the vision that Isaiah saw was so glorious. He saw angels going back and forth, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when they cried out, holy, the whole temple shook. It was an amazing vision. And Isaiah, here's puny little Isaiah. He's looking up at this vision and he says, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, my mouth is perverse. I I have a foul mouth. I have a blasphemous mouth. I I have an impure mouth. And, And it shook him up and he was convicted of his sin. Let me ask you, have you ever been convicted of something that you did wrong? You felt, you felt like, oh, I'm lame, I'm horrible, I'm terrible, I've messed up. Now, there's a difference. We talked about this last Sunday. There's a difference between being condemned for your sin and convicted for your sin. Condemnation means I did so much bad, I've shut the door on God, and I'm not even going to try anymore. That's condemnation. The Bible tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the Bible does tell us that we are convicted of our sins. That means we acknowledge our sins. We feel bad for our sins. We want to change. And that's exactly what Isaiah felt. He felt bad for his sin, for his mouth. How many of you have a bad mouth? I do. I have a bad mouth. I gossip sometimes. Not about you guys, so don't worry. I I let words fly out of my mouth sometimes that I wish I wouldn't. All right, I have a bad mouth. 
And we talked about that, taming the tongue. But you know what happened is the, an angel flew, took a, a coal from the altar, flew to I, Isaiah and touched his lips with a coal. And the angel says, your sin is atoned for. And you know what? Isaiah changed. Let me ask you, do you think people can change? Do you think you can change? You better believe you can change, especially with God on your side. He can change you. You don't have to change yourself. You don't have to do that. Now, you have to cooperate with God. Don't get me wrong. But God can change you into a better person. And I'm a living testimony of that. I'm not the same person that I used to be. Look back in your life, even maybe a few months ago. Has God done a progressive work in your life? You're not the same person you used to be, praise God. Well, that's what Isaiah Isaiah changed. He became a different person. And then, still on last Sunday, <laughs> and then last Sunday we learned that God called Isaiah. He chose him. He appointed him for a very special mission, for a purpose. You know what? When you have purpose in your life, you're not going to get depressed anymore. You're not going to struggle mentally as much as you used to. All right? You're going to get up in the morning with energy because you know you've got something you've got to get done that God has put in your life to do. You need purpose. And God gave Isaiah purpose, a special mission, a unique flavor. You know what? Your purpose is different from anybody else's in the whole wide world. God's not going to stick a circle in a square peg, or maybe I said that backwards. He's not going to do that. You're unique. God has a colorful way for you to live your life in a godly way. Not all Christians are created equal. Thank goodness. We're not all the same. We're all different. Some of us are bald. Thank goodness. All right? Some of us have different colored hair. Thank goodness. Some of us are tall. Some of us are short. Some of us are funny. Some of us are serious. God has a unique mission that goes right with your personality, and you're going to love what God has for you to do. You're going to love it. God has a call. So anyways, Isaiah, look at all of this led up to Isaiah 61 that we're going to read today, and I'm going to read it to you. This was the result of those four things happening in, to Isaiah this is what it looked like afterwards in Isaiah, in, in Isaiah 61. You can follow along with me either on the screen or in your own Bibles. Here it goes. Isaiah says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Why? Because he cooperated with God. You want the spirit of God upon you? Begin to cooperate with God. When he convicts you of sin, accept the conviction. When he changes you, accept the change. When it comes time to be called and do what God tells you to do, do it. Then the Spirit of God is going to start coming upon your life. Because, he says in Isaiah 61, verse 1, he says, because the Lord has anointed me. Remember that word, anointed. That's what we're going to be talking about today. He has anointed me. Why? Just to be chosen? Just to feel good about myself? No. There's a purpose why God chooses us. There's a reason why God has anointed you. And here it comes. To proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. To release from darkness for, for prisoners. To proclaim a year of God's favor. A day of vengeance of our God. To comfort those who mourn. Have you ever comforted somebody before? If you do, do, you're fulfilling God's purpose in this world is to comfort somebody and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Have you ever gotten someone who is so beat down and you just loved on them and you just showed them who Jesus was and you saw a smile finally come across their mouth and a little bit of joy? You bestowed a crown of beauty beauty on their head when you did that you encourage them to of oil of joy instead of mourning a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair what a picture that is people are cloaked in depression in despair in despondency their life is hopeless and God says I'm going to take that off of you and I'm going to put a garment of praise on you so that you can praise God in the morning. You can praise Him in the evening. You can praise Him in the afternoon. You can praise Him when you're wide awake at 2 a.m. in the morning. 
because you have a garment of praise. We're going to talk more about this next week. They will be called, this, this verse has been on my heart all week long, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Can you picture? Do you feel sometimes you're so flimsy, every worry just beats you up, and you're blown this way and blown that way, and you never know which way your emotions are going to be? God doesn't want you to be that way. He doesn't want you to be like a leaf shaking in the wind. He wants you to be like an oak of righteousness. An oak that's a hundred years old, a thousand years old. I don't want to live that long, but you know what I mean. An oak that's been around for a while and is, has had a couple of storms that's gone through, but it's unmovable or immovable. Praise God. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. God wants you to be a display to this world of God's glory. God's glory, God's majesty, his splendor. Verse 4, they will rebuild. Okay, check this out. It goes from this is your purpose, now this is what you're going to do. Look at these words. They will rebuild the ancient walls. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Most High God, of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Somebody here has experienced shame this week. And God is saying, you know what? I'm going to give you a double portion. That's grace. That's what grace is. I should be shamed, but God goes ahead and says, I'm going to give you a double portion. Now, for the person who's been shamed, it's easy to say, I, I, it's too good to be true. <laughs> I, I'm going to push that thought away because it can't be true. And God's saying, please don't push away my thoughts for you. I have good thoughts for you. I have good plans for you. I have a hope for you, a future for you. Please don't push me away just because you messed up. That's condemnation. Don't shut the door on the Lord. Let him convict you, but then let him change you. Praise God, man. Instead of shame, a double portion. Instead of disgrace, the opposite of grace, you will rejoice in your inheritance so that you will inherit a double portion of in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I am the Lord and I love justice. You know what justice is? Forgiveness. We think of justice as you do wrong, you get punished. That's human justice. That's not God's justice. I can't comprehend God's justice. His justice is you've done wrong, you come to me, I'll forgive you. <laughs> he says, man, uh, he loves justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Let me tell you what, if you're living for Jesus People are going to look at you and say, you clearly are a person that God has blessed. You clearly are. I tell you what, let God's light shine into you and then let God's light shine out of you because people are going to realize that it's the splendor of God in you. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with a garment, with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations." What insane promises this Isaiah 61 gives us. Insane. We're going to talk more about this, but we're going to park in the first verse today, if that's all right with you. We're just going to stop and go all the way back to the, to the beginning where it says that Isaiah is anointed. Let me read it to you just really. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me. That's what we're going to look at today. All right. Let me read to you this scripture, speaking of three 
amazing things that are going to happen if you'll cooperate with God. Three amazing things. No matter if you're the worst person in the world, if you'll cooperate with God, these three amazing things are going to happen to you. They're found in Exodus 28, 41. Let me read them to you. The first one is to be anointed. Here it goes. So this is, this is Moses speaking to his brother Aaron. Do you remember Moses? He's the guy that led people across the, 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 uh, the Red Sea. Water split open. They were in the desert for, for 40 years, miserable times. Moses, an amazing man of God, though, whose brother was Aaron. And here Moses is speaking to him. He says, so you shall put on them, uh, excuse me, you shall put them, and they're speaking of priestly garments. You'd have to read the context of this chapter to know what he's talking about. But he said, you'll put these priestly garments on Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him. Here's the three amazing things. You shall anoint them, you shall consecrate them, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. If you will cooperate with God, three things are going to happen to you. (laughs) God's going to anoint you. That means he's going to choose you. He's going to consecrate you, which means he's going to fill you. And he's going to sanctify you, which means he's going to give you an authority you never dreamed you could ever possess. So let's look at these today. Let's go back to anointing. All right. Aaron was anointed by, by Moses, by God, essentially through, through Moses. And anointing looked like this. They would take a, a horn or a flask of olive oil, and they would pour it. Oh, not a little dab. Nowadays, we pray and we say, we're going to anoint you. We would maybe dab a little oil on the forehead or what. No, this was a messy affair. They would take a, a, a flask of oil and pour it. I mean, it would cover the person's clothes, their face, their hair. Uh, it sounds kind of gross, to be quite frank with you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want a bunch of olive oil poured on me. But what came with it was the power of God, <laughs> the change of God. These people who were anointed of God, who were chosen of God, their lives were forever changed. How many of you, by the show of your hands, would like to be changed by God? All right? You want that change of God, all right? That comes with the anointing of God. And so Aaron and his sons were anointed. And simply put, to be anointed means God's picked you. God's picked you. How would you, how would you like to know that God for sure, absolutely, positively has chosen you and nothing can change his decision? He's chosen you actually no matter what you do. You are chosen of God. Would you like that? That would... Think about, think about the concept here. If you knew you were chosen, how would you behave differently? Would you act differently? Would you think differently? Would you wake up in the morning a little bit different? Because you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has chosen you. Woo, that's life-changing. You just think about it just for a second. This happened to David. Remember the guy who slung the sling and knocked down Goliath? He was anointed by the prophet Samuel, same experience, oil poured out all over his head. And it says from that day forward, the power of God came upon him because he was chosen. He was chosen of God. And then there was Elisha who was chosen. Now, we don't get the whole backstory. We just know that Elijah, his mentor, was told, go anoint Elisha. And it happened. He was chosen by God. Now, let me tell you what (laughs) something God doesn't just choose you so that you can feel good about yourself. Okay, I'm chosen. Now I can go get drunk all the time. I can go party because God has chosen me. That's not why God chooses you. God chooses you to change you. (laughs) He chooses you for a purpose. All right? He chose some to be prophets. He chose some to be kings. He chose some to be artists. Did you know that God... Imagine if you were an artist, how good it would feel for God to say, I've picked you, just go paint the rest of your life because that's what I've chosen you to do. God chooses people to be artists sometimes. He chose them. In fact, that's why the tabernacle was built. It was built and designed by artists. God chooses people to be artists, to be a a warrior, to be a father of a nation, to be a gardener. Can you remember who in the Bible was chose to be a gardener? First man to ever live, Adam. He was put in the garden to tend it. He was called and chosen to be a garden, 
gardener. If they if they chose me to be a gardener, that'd be I I wouldn't last. I'd kill all the plants and drink all the water. <laughs> Anyways, some to be a deliverer, to be a leader, to be a matriarch. There's people, women, who are called to just simply be mothers, and they're happy in that capacity. They're happy to be a homemaker. If God calls you to be a mother, enjoy it. Don't let society talk you off. You know, that's one of the most wonderful things you can do in the world if you're a woman is just be a mother. That's okay. That's wonderful. Who, whoever rocks the, the cradle, what does it say? Rules the world. It's a very powerful thing to be a mother. Um, to be a pastor. Look at this. Again, God doesn't choose you just to take it easy. He chooses you for a purpose. In Romans 8, 29, verses 29, verse 30, it says, For those God foreknew, he predestined. It doesn't just stop there that he predestined. No. He predestined them to be conformed into the image of his son. God wants you to get more, to be more and more and more like Jesus every day. That's why he picked you. He didn't pick you just to have a cush life and to go do whatever you felt like doing. No way, man. He called you and chose you for a purpose, and it's to be conformed into the image of his son, that, that he might be the firstborn, that is Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us. Can, can you believe that God refers to us as brothers and sisters of Jesus? Wow, what an honor. What a privilege. Does that mean we'll become divine beings someday? No. God is God, and he will be the only God from now throughout eternity. But he allows us to participate with him and to be part of his glory. Praise God. That's where so many religions take it wrong. They say, oh, you're brother, sister of Jesus. That means you're going to be a God. No, you won't. No, I won't. Only God is God, and we never can never forget that. For those he predestined, listen to this. He also called. In other words, he chose. He called. Uh, and those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And we talked about justification. Justification is just as if you never did anything wrong. God justifies those who've been unjust. Don't ever think that you've gone so far that you are out of God's reach. As long as you have breath in your life, God has the longest arm in the universe and can reach you and pull you to himself. You have to cooperate with him, though. You have to cooperate with him. So uh, listen to this. Thinking of, the, of this, these verses here in, in, uh, in Romans 8, God has a place of choosing for every single human being in this world. Did you hear that? God has a place of choosing for every single person that's ever lived and ever will. And he doesn't pick some people to go to heaven and pick some people to go to hell. There's no, nowhere in the Bible that says that. He has a place of choosing for you. Will you accept his choosing? Will you accept his call in your life and say, yes, God, yeah, it's all it takes. Say, yes, Jesus, I'll, yes, I want to be chosen of you. You enter into that choosing, and let me tell you what, I love the security that Jesus gives me. <laughs> if he's got his hand in my life, it is very, very hard for me to get away from him. And if I decide to walk away from Jesus, my life is going to get really miserable. Really, really, really. If you're living a miserable life right now, it's because you're trying to get away from God. <laughs> and God says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let stuff happen here life happens until you turn around and say okay i'm sick of my misery i'm coming back i'm making a beeline back to god if your path has been zigzagging up and down and you've made knots out of your life the path back to jesus is very straight it's a beeline anywhere you are in life jesus is there go back to jesus and you can get back to him in a millisecond you don't have it's not long you don't have to, no, 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 you go straight back to Jesus. But he has a place of choosing for you. Let me ask you just logically, would Jesus have ever called someone and not had a place for them? Does that make any sense? He went to the rich young ruler, remember this story, and he said, come follow me. 
the rich young ruler actually asked, he said, what do I need to follow you? And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. He said, well, I've done all of that. And he says, go sell all your riches and come follow me. Do you think Jesus didn't have a place for, for this guy? Because the guy didn't want to do it. He turned around and walked off. Do you think Jesus actually called this guy and didn't have a place of choosing for him? Give me a break. God doesn't do that. He doesn't call people and then not have a place for them. Every person in this world has a place of choosing. It's up to them to accept the choosing. Accept it. Praise God. So we need to accept the call of God in our lives. Where is, where is that place of choosing? In Ephesians 1.11, it makes it very clear. It says, in him we were also chosen. Where's the place of, of choosing? It's in the man, Jesus Christ. In Jesus. If you read Ephesians 1, and I challenge you to do that this week, read Ephesians 1, you'll see in him, through him, in Christ, in Christ. Where do you want to be? You want to be in Jesus. We talk about Jesus coming into our hearts. You know what we need to do? We need to go into Jesus. What does that look like? Well, if I'm out here partying and getting drunk and getting high all the time, I'm not in Christ. I'm not there. I'm outside of Christ, and I'm subject to all kinds of bad things happening to me. But if I say, you know what, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to get under the canopy of Jesus. I'm going to get under the umbrella of Jesus. I'll tell you what, I'm chosen of God. And no one can steal me out of Jesus' hand. Praise God. I love it. I love waking up in the morning and thinking, praise God, I can't lose my salvation. <laughs> I'm eternally secure. The only thing that can take me out of Jesus' hand is me. No demon, no person, no government. No, I can, I can choose to walk out and say, okay. But you know what? When I'm in Jesus, I'm eternally secure. I'm safe. Praise God. All these poor folks that think, oh, if I... Have I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? No, you haven't blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't be in church. You wouldn't be worried about it if you had. All right? Get into Christ. Praise the Lord. In him we are chosen. So how do you accept? How do you accept God's call in your life? If God were walk, Jesus walks up to you today and says, come follow me, how do you accept it? Well, we learned it last week. Let me show you five steps that Isaiah did. did or five steps that God took in Isaiah's life. And the first one is, God got Isaiah's attention. What are you paying attention to? Are you paying attention to your failed past? Stop paying attention to it. It's past. It's done. You can change. Start paying attention to Jesus. Are you paying attention to distractions? Stop it. Stop paying attention to your distractions and start paying attention to Jesus. How do you do that? Go to church. You'll pay more attention to Jesus. If you're coming to church once a month, you're not going to be paying much attention to God. Do you hear me? If you go to church more often, you'll pay more attention to God. Do you get brownie points for coming to church? No, you don't. That's not the purpose of it. You come to church to get strong, to receive, to get something from God so that when you walk out the doors, you're, 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 you, you can face life again. All right? You, you can pay attention to God by cracking open your Bible once a day, twice a day, five times a day, all right? Read it. Do it. Listen to it. Pay attention to it. That's how you can pay attention to God. God wants to get your attention. So that's the first thing that God did with Isaiah. Secondly, he helped him understand who Isaiah was in relation to God. I'm not God. You're God. I'm the clay. You're the potter. You have the plan, I follow your plan. You're the master, I'm the servant. You're the father, I'm the son or daughter. There's a relationship. We, got, we get our roles confused sometimes, and we want to tell God what to do. Guess what? He's God. We've got to do what he wants us to do and not be pulling and pushing him all the time, just following, cooperating with God. So he got an understanding of who he was in relationship to God. Number three, we talked about this last week, he experienced God's conviction. Let me tell you what, if you're taking pills, you're taking drugs, you're watching pornography, you're in an illicit relationship, stop. <laughs> Let the conviction of God get a hold of you and say, you know what, even if this makes me miss something, I'm going to stop doing it. I'm convicted of sin, and I'm sick of it. 
by the way, this is what happens. Conviction of sin is when you just, you're, at, you're sick of it. You're tired of it. You don't want it anymore, and you walk away from it. That's what conviction of sin looks like. You're just fed up with you. I've had it up to here, and I'm done with it. That's every single time I've stopped doing something bad, it's because I got sick of it. And we need to get a belly full of sin and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. All right, conviction of sin. Number four, he, he changed. God changed him, and he cooperated with God to change. And lastly, he received a purpose in life, a mission in life. So the question was, is how can I accept God's call in my life? Those five things right there. That's how you accept God's call in your life. And then God begins to anoint you. He begins to choose you. So God, excuse me, Isaiah cooperated with God in these, in these five things. So when the Bible speaks of someone being chosen or appointed or anointed, in the same breath, all right, it's saying that they accepted the call. So when, when, when you see in the Bible, for instance, we were reading in, in Romans 8.30, it's right here, God, he, whoever predestined, he called, it's obviously saying that you accepted his call. Because God is calling the whole universe. He's not willing that any should perish. So he's doing everything to give everybody a chance to live a wonderful life and to get into heaven. Not be problem-free, but have a, a much better life than you would, would have otherwise. He's doing that for everybody. Will you accept his call? Will you accept his call? So when David was being anointed and Samuel was pouring out the oil, did David run off and try to get out from under the anointing? No, he stayed there and he received the anointing that, God, that Samuel was giving him. When, when Aaron, or when John the Baptist, he had destiny since birth. Do you know that you have destiny since birth? God has a plan for your life since you were conceived. Before you were born, God had a plan. Don't run away from it. Run to it. Go do what God has you to do. So did John the Baptist run away from, from his destiny? No, he ran towards his destiny. Stop letting your past get you down. Listen to God. He's forgiven your sins. Look back and all you see is mercy. God, stop dictating your future based on your past. Your future is going to be totally different from your past. Praise God for that. Isn't that good news? And Aaron, when Moses was trying to pour oil out on him, did he go run out and get out? No, no, no. God, bring it on. <laughs> pour out your anointing on it. I want to be chosen of God. I want to do what God has for me to do. All right, so this anointing is a solemn setting apart for an office. In other words, a purpose. It was always used with oil, as I've mentioned it, signified choosing an appointment. Listen to this. This is a really cool thought. I was doing my devotions this week and writing these thoughts down. The anointing only happened one time. God chooses you one time, and your choosing is there for a lifetime. He didn't go and choose David three times and four times after he messed up. No, God kept saying, David... You messed up with Bathsheba, you're still my chosen child, you know? You went out and did a census and counted everybody, and I told you not to do that, you're still chosen. Wow, that's powerful, man. No matter what you do, if God's chosen you, he's chosen you. It's chosen. You're chosen for a lifetime. Why? Because his calling is irrevocable. Once he calls you, he's not going to renege on it. He's not going to change his mind. He's not... One who shifts like the shifting shadows, who changes his mind. He's chosen you for a lifetime. Would you please accept it? Because your lifetime's really short in the big scheme of things. You're not promised tomorrow. Accept his calling today. Praise God. So it says in Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, I love this. For God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. Praise God once he's... Once he's called you, he's not, he's not coming back on it. Now, you can twist and mangle your life, but God's calling is still on you. He's still trying to draw you, still trying to get your attention. Praise God. You know, old Samson, he was a lame dude. I mean, he was horrible. He messed up over and over again. Did God quit choosing Samson? Did God pull back his anointing from Samson? No. No, he didn't. He kept after Samson. Samson lived a tragic life that he didn't have to live. You don't have to live a tragic life either if you will just cooperate 
with God and let his anointing be on you. All right. So Exodus 28, 41 gives us the second thing that's going to happen. If you'll cooperate with God, he'll anoint you. Secondly, he'll consecrate you. And this is so incredibly rich. Listen carefully to the meaning of consecration. It's, it's just awesome. Consecration is, has numerous interpretations throughout the Old Testament, but one of them was to fill. So listen to this. Listen carefully. He picks you, and then he fills you. He picks you, and then he fills you. Full. It's the same word that's used in Genesis when God said he, he blessed the man and the woman, and he said, go fill the earth. He consecrated them. And he says, I want you to go fill the whole earth with all your babies, grandbabies, great, great grandbabies. I want you to fill the whole earth. God wants to fill you with fruitfulness. He wants to fill you with joy. He wants to fill you with peace. God never meant you to be empty. Some people say, I feel like there's a hole in my heart, a, 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 an emptiness. God wants to fill your emptiness. He wants to fill your emptiness. He wants to fill you with his presence, with his joy, with his peace. He wants to fill you with strength. He wants to fill you with sanity. In this world where there's mental illness rampant all over the place, things are getting worse and worse. God wants to fill you with sanity, a sane mind. He wants to fill you with health. He wants to fill you with soul prosperity. Where your soul is just prosperous. You're just joyful and bouncing up and down even when there's bad times all around you. He wants to fill you with skill, with wisdom, with understanding. In Exodus 28.3, there are these guys that were going to help, uh, help build the tabernacle. They're in the desert. And he said, you shall speak. Um, you shall speak to all the skillful who I am, who I have filled with a spirit of skill. You guys, every one of you has skills, and God wants to just keep filling you with skills, filling you with skills. Sometimes singing, sometimes administration, sometimes leadership, sometimes public speaking, sometimes just serving people. God wants to fill you with skills so that you're unique. You look different. You sound different. You feel different. God doesn't make a bunch of clones. He makes uniqueness. God loves diversity. He loves diversity. Praise God. In Exodus 31, again, he says, I fill you with a spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. But another meaning that consecration is, is to complete. To complete. And this has to do uh, with fulfilling. God wants to fulfill his plan in your life. But he's not going to do it until you start cooperating with him. You're going to have a really lame life until you start cooperating with God. And so he completes things. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who used to be in our youth group. And this young 17-year-old girl told me, she said, you know what? I feel whole inside. That's exact her exact words. She wasn't cooperating with God for several years. And then she started cooperating with God recently. She said, I feel whole inside. I feel complete inside. I feel fulfilled inside. I feel satisfied inside. Praise God. But this concept of being complete means you've completed the test. Do you think God tests people? You bet you he does. He tested Adam in the garden by putting a forbidden tree in the middle of the garden. Does God tempt people? No, but he does test people. And all of us go through tests, and God wants you to complete that test. Look at this in James 1, verses 2 through, through 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Are you going through a trial right now? Difficult time? Yeah, you're going through a trial. All right, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. You'll be whole. You'll be complete. Withstand your test. Don't give up. Is there anybody in here that's going to give up? Please tell me. Don't raise your hand if you're, I'm sorry, Sarah raised her hand. No, <laughs> don't give up. Don't give up. Persevere because you're going to be made complete. You're going to be fulfilled. In Isaiah 28, 16, look at this verse. This is so powerful. It says, 
So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone. It's tried. It's true. If you stand on Jesus, you're not going to be shaken. A precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it, who relies on Jesus, will never be stricken with panic. How many of you have panicked this week? Anybody? Panicked this week. If you rely on Jesus, you'll never have to panic again in your life. I had some reasons to panic this week at work. And you know what? I felt stable, solid inside, strong inside. I didn't panic. And just hours later, the problem was taken care of. All right? If you rely on Jesus, you're not going to panic. Withstand the test of time. Praise God. You've completed the test. Here's another concept that, that goes with this. Is you've learned a lesson so well that you'll never do it again. <laughs> God... Sometimes we say, God, I just want to do this. He says, okay, it's okay. Go ahead and do it. You learn a lesson, and you never want to do it ever again. That's one of the ways God teaches us, as he lets us test the waters. And we get so miserable, we say, I'm never doing that again. We've learned our lesson. We've passed the test. All right. Um, it also has to do with fulfillment of time and preparation. Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not be weary, grow weary in well-doing. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. I've seen people give up, and it's tragic. Here's another concept, though, of, of the proper time. We're talking about consecration. We're filled up so that the proper time we're fruitful. We're filled up so that the proper time we're fruitful. Let me read this to you. It's a time of opportunity that is to be fully taken advantage of. Some of you, even this week, you're going to have an opportunity. Take advantage of the opportunity. If you're in prayer all the time, God opens a door. You don't have to pray about the door. You just walk through it because you've been preparing all the time. You've been listening to the Spirit of God. The whole time when the door opens, you say, obviously, God, I'm walking through it. Stop me, Lord, if you don't want me to. All right? You don't have to worry so much because you've been preparing. An open door is, is, um, that is to be passed through, a favorable moment that is to be fixed for a definite period of time. God gives you opportunities that you haven't prepared for, you're going to miss. You're going to miss. If you're not part of a, a group of believers and you're coming once every two or three months, you're not preparing yourself for what God, the opportunities God's going to give you. Be a part of a life-giving church so that you can be prepared. Prepared. Uh, it's a, divine, a divinely appointed time. And it's a brief time that if you're not prepared for it, you're missing. Jesus would walk through towns, and he'd say, follow me, and then he'd walk out of the town. The person would either go with Jesus or stay. Jesus is going to walk through your life, and he's going to say, follow me. Are you going to be prepared to say, yes, Lord? Prepare yourself for that time, that important time. Samuel took this, this oil to anoint David. He anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day forward, that appointed time, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's keep moving. Just a few more minutes. Don't worry. Uh, this, this concept of consecration also means to be endowed or to have something poured on you, a giftedness poured on you. It also means uh, uh, to set, it's also used in many translations, to set a stone in the right place to build the right building. God has a spot for you in life, and he wants to put you right there. Cooperate with God. Let him consecrate you. Let him put you where you need to be. It also has the connotation of being overflowing. Uh, the, the River Jordan would overflow it, it during the a certain time of year, God wants you to overflow, overflow. It's not about the wealth that comes to you. It's about the wealth that comes out of you. God wants you to bubble up with streams of living water so that everywhere you're watering everyone that you see, blessing everybody that you see. Abraham was told, I'm going to be a blessing to you, but you're going to be a blessing to everybody else. God pours into us so that we overflow and we start overflowing on everybody around us through the smile on our face, the words of our mouth, through the skills that God gives us. God wants you to overflow, and that's what part of consecration is as well. It also means to arm. 
In other words, you are armed, you're equipped, you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound on, in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's consecration. God fills you with the keys to the kingdom of heaven and you start locking and unlocking and you start seeing people's lives turned around because when you pray, God listens to your prayers. That's consecration. Praise God. Um, it says in, in 2 Samuel 23, 7, this is where this word, this consecrate, this word of consecration is used, um, that the man who touches um, them arms himself with iron and a shaft of a spear. God has given you weapons. God has given you weapons. And he wants to teach you how to use those spiritual weapons. And then um, just a couple more. <laughs> he confirms to, to consecrate means to confirm something. In other words, this is really cool. Uh, in, in, I think it's Mark, it says, these signs will accompany those who believe. These signs, so he confirms that you're a child of God by doing miracles through you. When you pray, God confirms it and says, okay, I'm going to do it. In the Air Force, this is really, really neat. The Air Force um, embeds um, Air Force experts into special ops teams. And these special ops teams will be dropped behind enemy lines and the air force guy on the team will tag a building with a laser that says this is the building that we want to, to blow up all right so he tags it with a laser and then the air force pilots come in with their their fighter fighter jets and bomb that precise location god has put you and you and me has put us here on this earth to tag demonic strongholds and says god bring in the firepower right here. He confirms, he confirms that you're a child of God by doing miracles for you and through you. Powerful. You start tagging things saying, God, I declare this forbidden here because you've declared it forbidden in heaven. And he brings in the firepower and he does it for you. Praise, that's consecration. Don't you want to be consecrated? I do. I want to be consecrated of God. It also means to be drenched, <laughs> saturated with the presence of God. But let's move on. I'm almost done. Literally three more minutes here. Just hang on. We're almost done. Um, but the third thing that we read in Exodus 28, 41 is that God sanctifies us. He anoints us. He consecrates us. And he sanctifies us. Now, sanctify means to be made holy, to be made holy to be set apart for a singular purpose, a predetermined purpose. I love this term right here, forfeited to the sanctuary. And I, I don't know if I can do that any... It, the world has forfeited me. They've said, you're no good, Steve. You're not good enough. So I'm forfeited from the world to God's sanctuary. Isn't that neat? When people look down on you and say, you're not good enough, say, praise God, I've been forfeited by the world to God's purpose, to God's kingdom. I want his acknowledgement more than I want people's acknowledgement anyway. So who cares? I'm forfeited to the sanctuary. I love that. Of majestic and noble purpose, dedicated and devoted to God, pure and consecrated. See, God's putting me through the fire. He's putting you through the fire to get rid of all the impurities, all the yuckiness, all the bad stuff, so that what's left is pure. It's, it's a single solid silver or gold for God, if you will. So listen to this. This is the last thought that I have here. Holiness is a source of spiritual authority. The holier you are, <laughs> the more the Holy Spirit you have in your life, praise God, the more pure you are, God's going to give you authority. And you're going to begin to speak to things in the name of Jesus. This is not going to happen to my family. My son, my daughter, they're going to be saved by Jesus. The holier you are, the more authority you're going to have in your life. So the question is, how do you get to be holy? It's not through legalism. Not through saying, oh, my skirt can only be this short. And I can't do my hair this way. I can't put makeup on. I can't do that. That's not holiness. Holiness is getting in touch with the Holy Spirit. And he starts burning things out of us that we need burned out of us. And the authority of God, you begin to speak with authority. You're not mealy mouth. You're not lacking self-control. The first place of authority, by the way, is your own life. You take authority over the things in your life. You say, 
I'm not doing that anymore. Or I am going to start doing godly things, period. The holiness of God brings authority. So let's summarize. Well, in Hebrews 10, 14, let me read this to you real, real quick. For by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's a progressive, lifelong, step-by-step thing that we go through that God makes us holy. We don't make ourselves holy. God does it. So if you're willing to accept God's calling, let God get your attention. Figure out who you are in relation to God. He's God, you're not. (laughs) Experience God's conviction for your sin. Get sick and tired, fed up with doing wrong stuff. Become a changed person and you receive and hear God's calling for your life, his appointment to a lifelong purpose, if you will cooperate with God in that fashion, you'll have these three things happen. He's going to start anointing you. He's going to start consecrating you. And he's going to make you holy. Praise God. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Heavenly Father, God, for the, man, the presence of God in this place, Lord Jesus. The richness of your word, Lord God. The passion, Lord, that you put, the fire that you put in our hearts for you, Jesus. For your kingdom, Lord, I praise you, Father, that there's a place of choosing for every single human being that's ever lived or will live. Lord, it's just our simple acceptance of that saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Yes, Lord, I will. Lord, I'll turn my back on the things that I've been putting up with for so long. Heavenly Father, I want your anointing on each and every one of us, God. Your choosing in our lives, Lord. I pray for your consecration in our lives, meaning the filling of our lives, the the empowerment of our lives, Lord Jesus. That consecration, Lord, that's so important to us, Lord, that we're not empty, we're not dissatisfied, we're not chasing wild dreams, Lord. We're following you because we're full of you. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus and, and God, this, this concept of being sanctified, holy, set apart. Lord, as the King James says, even peculiar at times, a little odd, a little different from this world. Lord, we need to be set apart. We need to be different from this world. Lord, when everybody else is going out and getting wasted, Lord, we're the ones who are not, Lord. We're, We're staying away from that kind of life, Lord Jesus. We're staying faithful to our spouse if we're married. Or if we're not married, we're staying pure until we do get married, Lord Jesus. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would sanctify us. Sanctify us, Lord. And I pray, God, that for any of us who are are not under Christ or in Christ, under that canopy of his presence, Lord, that, that we would make a beeline back to Jesus. That we would run back to Jesus as fast as we can.